the next episode of the Shell Warning Center podcast. My name is Rodney Benner, and I am here with Scott Bauman. Uh, welcome to another episode. Tonight, we have one of our physical therapy department superstars, Elena Gillenwater, is here tonight to discuss with us our non-operative treatment of osteoarthritis. This is part of a series that we're doing about uh, the non-operative treatment of knee osteoarthritis. Yeah, and we're a pretty unique clinic to be able to talk about this. If you listen to the first episode of the podcast, we talked about interdisciplinary care and orthopedics, and and this, I think, is a, a topic that we're going to be able to highlight uh, the way that that is functioning. So with the two orthopedic surgeons that work in the clinic, as well as the nine physical therapists, and again, we're uh, uh, excited to have Elena here tonight to, to discuss this, the treatment for knee osteoarthritis from a non-operative standpoint it is something we do pretty routinely in the clinic and, and we're excited to talk to Elena tonight to to get a chance to see what that process looks like and how it's handled within our office. Elena, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. I really enjoy treating this patient population and I'm excited to talk about it. So when somebody comes in the door to our office, I think they have a much different experience than if they go into other offices with an arthritic knee. So start by telling the audience a little bit about our office setup and how does somebody get kind of plugged into our office non-operative OA treatment from the moment they walked into the door? Sure. I think it's a very unique and, and very effective way that our non-operative patients begin treatment with us. Generally, it starts with making an appointment to see the doctor on a clinic day where we as PTs are part of that initial visit the whole time. So we as the PT bring them back, get an initial history, x-rays if needed, and then present the history to Dr. Benner or Dr. Shelbourne. And then we go into the room with the doctor and we are there when they're reviewing their x-rays with them during the entire doctor's physical examination. And then also during the discussion between the doctor and the patient about their physical exam findings and, and how that relates to their symptoms. So a lot of patient education, that first visit with the, the doctor and the patient, and then often they will refer them to PT after having explained why trying some non-operative treatment for OA can be beneficial. And then they pass the baton to, to the PT who's already in the room the whole visit and education just continues. So um, often right then we'll give them some exercises to start working on, if not do an entire PT evaluation if we have time. Um, and then when we walk them out, they'll they'll make a follow-up appointment with the same PT who they had just worked with that whole visit. Have you had any experience that have, that have been similar to, to it, how we do it in our office as far as where you worked in other places or what you saw during your education where there was that direct patient care interaction with the physician and the physical therapist and the patient from the moment they walked in the door? Very different experiences through clinical rotations. And I worked a few years in, in West Virginia uh, where I'm from at an outpatient orthopedic office and uh, very different experiences. So um, patients are coming in with a referral, sometimes just general knee away, knee pain. And I don't know anything about them basically whenever they show up. So I feel very privileged that for my PT evaluations now, I was present during that referring doctor's visit, but not only present, but actually very involved. I can tell you from the physician or from the surgeon's point of view as well, uh, 
also this uh, a totally different atmosphere than what I had in training or what I what I've seen in other places during residency and fellowship where there wasn't that direct connection and as a physician it's kind of empower, empowering for us as the physician providers and I think for the physical therapy providers as well to have that direct interaction and immediately plug in with the patient and get to know them from the time they come in the door uh, that way I don't have one impression of the patient and you have a different one because they tell me one thing and they tell you another when we're all in the same room together uh, you know here in the same thing having the same discussion it uh it's a much different experience and i think sets us up for success so with this patient population of patients having knee osteoarthritis there is going to be a surgical option of a knee replacement potentially if it's severe enough now we're talking about non-operative treatment you're talking about the collaborative care with surgeons and physical therapists elena can you speak a little bit on the uh, patient reaction to having a therapist work so closely with the surgeon when it comes to treating their arthritic knee so oftentimes, you know, patients make initial appointments with a doctor, maybe having being told they have quote unquote bone on bone arthritis and and they think um, they're coming to sign up for surgery on that first visit, thinking that that's the only option. So it does involve a lot of education whenever, you know, hey, I'm a PT in the room and, and you're going to be working along with me as well, maybe even more so than with Dr. Benner at first. So if I have someone a little hesitant to do just PT for severe OA, I, I like to say, hey, work with me, try PT for four to six weeks. Let's try to maximize your range of motion, try my treatment plan, and one of two things can happen. So one, you, you could feel a lot better and then not even want to consider surgery as an option, which would be great. Or two, you know, we have excellent surgeons in our office. So if if you're continuing to have a lot of pain and with activity and and still interested in surgery, now your knee is physically prepared for surgery. So I make it clear that whether you get surgery or not, you know, I'm going to do the same treatment with you. So it's not a waste of time. So I like I think patients really appreciate that collaborative approach, knowing that, you know, whatever route we go down, um, they're gonna. We're recommending working with me and and doing the same thing. Yeah, no doubt. That's definitely an important part of it. That we're both on the same page. I know that from from my perspective, I feel like I have to lay the groundwork for you all to set you up for success in the same way that you do for me when it comes to doing the therapy to to get ready for or hopefully avoid surgery altogether. If I don't speak to them with conviction about what we're going to be doing and the fact that we believe in the non-surgical protocol. And I just say, well, we're probably going to end up doing a surgery anyway, but why don't you go just see Elena, do some PT just so we can say we did it. Then I don't think it's very helpful versus if I tell them with conviction, I believe this can help you. I believe that the physical therapy treatment, even though your x-rays look pretty bad, uh, could still help you out and uh, make you better for the time of surgery when it does come or hopefully avoid surgery. I think that really changes the narrative for them and lets them know that we're not just passing them off, that this is really an important part of their care. When we're done with that first visit, when we go through their x-rays with them and everything, you say you take them off to the gym and start the early treatment. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing with those patients in the early phases of treatment. What kinds of deficiencies are you pointing out to them and what kind of uh, treatments are you prescribing? Sure. Um, so, yeah, we, we start right off the bat by taking a lot of objective measurements, collecting all the data in our clinic, and more often than not, a painful arthritic knee is presenting with a flexion contracture, so loss of extension, often a joint effusion, which 
also contributes to limited flexion, range of motion, and then oftentimes decreased quad size or tone, quad weakness once, once we test it. And then I do, you know, being present for the x-rays reviewed and everything, I usually, it's a lot of talking with the patient too, when once we switch to PT mode. So I like to distinguish the phrase painful arthritic knee versus just arthritic knee. So they are saying, I come in, I'm coming in for my right knee. But when we take x-rays, you know, they have severe OA bilaterally, but only one side hurts. So we learn a lot from that because you can have a direct comparison why one arthritic knee hurts and one doesn't. And I start teaching them about that right off the bat. And that's usually the stiff side. So the painful side is almost always the stiff side. And it's it's nice to show the patient the x-ray, show them their flexion contracture, say, you know, this side is the one that hurts and just really helping make that connection in their brain to that. So you, you mentioned some common presentations that the patient's going to present with, things like stiffness and swelling and weakness and, and pain, obviously. When you take them back to the gym after they have that first consultation with, with Dr. Benner, in the early stages, how do you focus treatment? I know you mentioned, again, yeah. maybe three or four things with stiffness, weakness, swelling. Take us through what the treatment looks like in that initial stages when you get going. I often put it this way to patients. I, I tell them, Knees seem to respond in a very stepwise progression, meaning let's focus on this goal first, and then once met, we move on to the next. So I always educate them that it's it's very difficult to strengthen a stiff knee, so we're, we're going to start focusing on range of motion first. So even if they're saying, my main symptom I feel is weakness, I, I educate them on why improving their range of motion, working towards those goals first is important before moving on to to the strength goals. So it's a lot of stretching at the beginning and it's it's a lot of stretches they can do on their own at home. So mm-hmm. they're not coming in three times a week to stretch with me. I'm I'm really teaching them ways to stretch throughout the day, not favor their leg throughout the day, set them up with sometimes stretching devices they can do at home several times a day and then Sometimes I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll see you back in a week or I'll see you back in three weeks. But this is the one or two goals I want you focused on working on in that meantime. And I think they, they, they appreciate not feeling overwhelmed. You know, I'm giving them two or three stretches to, to work on, not, you know, pages and pages stapled together of, of exercises. And it's much more obtainable and, and squeezed in in a normal busy schedule. And I think my patients appreciate that. Yeah, it's interesting. We've even had people that have come in and we see, you you know, we see this all the time. People come in and say, well, I've already done therapy before. Okay, well, tell me about that. What what did you what did you do when you were at therapy? Well, they worked on getting my knee straighter and then they worked on some bending and then I rode a bike and then they did some stim treatment and then I did some quad sets and then I did some other strengthening. And it's a whole list of a bunch of things that they're that they've been doing. And when we asked them to boil it down to have you ever just worked on range of motion loss by itself? Have you ever just worked on extension by itself? And they say, well, no, I guess I haven't really done that. And it, it, it takes a little while. Had a conversation like this just in clinic today. Yes, you've done all that, but have you ever just focused on your knee extension and nothing else? Well, I guess no, I haven't done that. And and it was it was a tough thing to kind of redirect that patient that, you know what, we are going to look at it a little bit different and that, that the order 
of how we do things and doing things in that progressive fashion, like you talked about, uh, really, really seems to matter. Um, and um, the physical exam, of course, is important as well. When we can yep. show patients, look at how far your other knee goes into a couple degrees of hyperextension. Look how far this one doesn't go into extension even at all. Uh, and a lot of times those things have developed without patients even really knowing it and understanding it until they know that they really, it's really going to be tough for them to, to, to make progress. So once you start working on the initial therapy, just tell tell us real quick about um, how we start going at the physical therapy or how we start going out the range of motion loss from the very beginning, what exercises you give them, how many times you have them do it, and then what kind of progression you want to see before you're moving on to the next step. It's usually pretty simple exercises. I usually tell my patients knee exercises really aren't that difficult, but consistency matters. So really, you know, several times a day, I want you to do um, a heel prop or simple heel prop, propping it up, letting gravity do some stretching into extension, towel stretches. And then we have an ideal knee device that we use in our clinic a lot that is an extension device. So several actual stretches I give for extension three to five times a day. But then I always also say, okay, you could stretch, you know, 20, 30 minutes a day, but what about the other 12 hours, you know, you're up, up on your leg a day. So I, I usually show them um, that they're, they're favoring the leg most, most often by not putting weight over on it and keeping it bent in a standing position. So I consider that a stretch and an exercise as well and, and have them work on practicing extension and standing. I teach them on day one, a heel toe gait pattern we're aiming for. So a good heel strike, doing functional extension in your walking pattern. So not just a list of exercises, but also habits, lots of daily daily habits to start working on, bad habits to start breaking. That's really visit number one. Elena, you said something that very interesting a few minutes ago when you talked about the presentation of the patient. They notice weakness almost more so than anything. They could be five, six, 10 degrees stiff even, and they're going to tell you, I have trouble with stairs, I have trouble getting out of uh, my car, out of a deep seat, anything of that nature. So when you work on range of motion first because of the stiffness, and and Dr. Benner, you talked about having a specific approach and a specific order with these patients, when do you flip that script and work on more of the strengthening aspect of things? Is it time-based? Are you looking for certain types of criteria for range of motion or swelling or, or pain? Or what are you looking at in terms of starting a patient on strengthening? Um, I'm usually, if I am lucky enough to have an asymptomatic side, comparing it to the other side. So an extension goal being met would be symmetrical to the other side. And then if it, you have symmetrical extension, you're using your legs normally throughout the day. So you know, I tell people you could you could go to the gym hours every day, but if you can't straighten out your knee, you're you're not going to be fully firing your quads um, to their full potential. So it's going to be very difficult to strengthen those. So once they have that symmetrical extension, I, I find out if um, I ask them questions: Are we going to be doing a home-based strengthening program versus? going to a gym strengthening program. The, the next step I usually see is, do they have availability to some lower impact conditioning to, to move on from, the, from just the stretching program? So that could be something like stationary biking, um, elliptical, something where your foot 
stays in contact with a pedal and, and isn't doing that pounding through the joint. And then after adding that, luckily in our clinic, I mean, we have some great uh, equipment. So we have a Cybex and we have a leg press uh, testing uh, machine. So we can look at both whole leg strength and quad strength symmetry. So it's a great measurement tool for us to know exactly the side to side strength and what that is rather than just relying on something like MMT. So whether it's a home program or a gym program or a hybrid, I can customize their strengthening program based on their specific strength deficits. Oftentimes this will look like something like, um, you know, if they have a 40% strength, whole leg strength deficit compared to the other side, we'll be doing some single leg, lightweight, high rep leg press to try to improve that symmetry. If they, if they have a 30% quad deficit compared to the other side on Cybex, I'll see if if they can tolerate any extension machine or maybe some, you know, ankle weight exercises if we're if we're doing it at home or step ups or something that's really addressing their specific side to side deficit. Just wanted your your opinion on something real quick. You had mentioned that you typically are giving either a gym based program or a home based program. With this specific population of patients with knee osteoarthritis, do you feel like it matters? Do you feel like you get just as good outcomes as patients that have a gym membership that they're able to go to three, four, five times a week versus the patient that says, all I have is a set of stairs and I can do step-based and, and body weight stuff? What's your opinion with this specific population? I've had good success and good outcomes um, with both, honestly. So some people that are really don't have access to get to a gym. You know, I have to be a little bit more creative with a with a home program. Um, sometimes that means maybe investing in in some type of equipment at home, whether that be stationary bike or, or a floor bike or something. But even if not, if if I can, you can improve someone's you know extension range of motion with just with no equipment. You can improve someone's strength with one step with you know, their body weight. I, I do think it's easier usually to meet the goals when they're like, hey, I, I go to Planet Fitness, you know, three times a week anyways. Um, not going to lie, that, that does make my program a little bit easier to develop for them. But I've had really good success with just, just home-based programs as well. It's, it's a lot of habits too, like I said. So that's all day, every day, anywhere. You mentioned the testing a little bit. We do have a Cybex machine to isolate quad strength, compare it side to side, compare it over visit over visit to see if patients are improving on strength. And we're always measuring range of motion uh, to see if we're making progress with functional range of motion and the leg press for overall leg strength. We also do the timed up and go test, the tug test to put in a little more functional testing. Uh, I think that's a really important part of it. And patients will tell us, well, that all they ever told me was to go strengthen. And I did strengthen. And when I got back, they just said, keep strengthening. And I just didn't know, didn't really understand how it was supposed to move forward. So I think the testing, one of the differences is that we utilize the testing to guide our progression and where our, where we ultimately land. So talk a little bit about how we utilize the testing and the measurements visit over visit to guide us either to now you can be discharged, let's move you on to a home program versus you're not making progression, let's get back with the surgeon and see about getting an injection, taking a different medicine or even having a surgery. Yeah, first of all, I think the patients really appreciate the the objective measurements and and knowing the information. So every time I too, do some a little too much sometimes they get pretty yeah. hung up and, and kind of angry. Get a little hung up on their numbers <laughs> and, and yeah. sometimes 
sometimes I'm a little, uh, give a little less detail of their results. <laughs> but yeah, patients, they, um, you know, they understand what, what it means when, when you explain it through the Cybex testing, for example. So we consider within 10% a, a great goal of, of having symmetrical quad strength. Uh, we can do fast speed and slow speed testing. So the way I kind of put it in layman's terms for my patients is, is the fast speed, like easier tests that we do first is a little bit more like daily type of strength. So this is what you need to go up and down the stairs and and go to the grocery store and walk around. And so we want those legs to be equal when you're trying to do that. And then when we do the slow speed testing, a little bit harder level, um, I explain, you know, this is your your max out strength that you're, you're really trying to do. It, it's important to have equal legs when you're trying to do maybe like a recreational type of activity or exercise. And that seems to click in their brain. And when I try to relate like symmetrical leg strength to specific activities and, and goals they want to get back to, it, it really helps with the patient buy-in. Whenever I'm doing my leg press testing, uh, it's something that seems to really, really click with the patient is like comparing it to their body weight. So when I test them, it tells us how many pounds they can press out with one leg versus the other. And my goal is within 10%, but not only that, I, I like to tell them, you know, let's, it's important to try to press close to, if not more than your body weight on one leg, because it's good to be able to support all of your body weight on one leg with things like stair negotiation or, you know, anytime you have to step up with one leg and then they're like, oh, you know, I, I weigh 150 pounds, but I can, I can press 60 pounds. And, and that seems to really mean more to them than just saying you're weak. Your, your whole leg is weak versus like, oh, I can, I can only press half my body weight that I think they, they appreciate that more and they, they buy into the strengthening a little bit better and, and understand why we're asking them to do one side versus the other. So all, all of the strength testing, of course, important for me to progress them, but yeah, the patients just really appreciate this information. And I think helps with, uh, patient buy-in and consistency with their gym program because they like seeing that number get better. They're, yeah. they're like, oh yeah, I pressed 150 last time. And then I, I test them maybe a month later and maybe we get over 200 pounds and like, you'll hear like, woohoo, you know, you'll hear cheers in the gym. Like they are excited to meet these goals, um, which is so much more rewarding than just saying, yeah, you went from a four to a four plus on, on MMT. It's much more rewarding for me and the patient, I think. Yeah, it sounds like things are pretty regimented when it comes to the objective testing and, and you have a, a pretty good plan and approach to to hit the treatment with range of motion first and progress the strengthening. And then you've, you've uh, really highlighted the strength testing pretty well in terms of looking for that to be within 10%. I would hope that the patient would have less pain at that point. But what happens during that treatment plan when the patient is not doing as well as you'd like, whether that would be they're getting stiffer, they're getting weaker, or just they're having more pain with the rehab? We have such an, a collaborative approach at, at our office. Um, you know, we often just start with PT, but we do have other adjunct treatments available when needed. So uh, we have the availability to discuss in person with the referring doctor, you know, about plateaus or, or lack of progress. And I can go over my objective measurements uh, with Dr. Binner, with Dr. Shelbourne and and then see if there's a medical adjunct treatment that would be beneficial, like in our office, for example, certain medications or injections to consider that, you know, oftentimes we're not 
considering just doing an injection with Dr. Benner, but it's it's to help get over a plateau or help to continue to progress in PT. And luckily, uh, we have the trust and communication that if, if I feel like someone needs to see Dr. Benner back, you know, I I can schedule them back with both me and Dr. Benner at their next visit. And, and so that's a luxury in our clinic that if I'm ever hitting a plateau, you know, it doesn't feel like a, a roadblock. It's, it's okay. Well, let's, let's, you know, reconvene with the doctor together and then I'll be there too. And, and can, and we'll get back on a maybe new game plan. Yeah. That's, that, that's always when I thought education was huge with these patients, you know, they're hitting a plateau, they're not getting better, but you know, they're, let's say their pain, for example, is higher and you recommend an injection. The education is huge on that because a lot of patients will just look at that as a Band-Aid. And I always mm-hmm. really, really thought it was great to be able to educate the patient as well. The pain will be temporarily gone with the injection, but everything shows that the injection is only going to be in there for 60 or 90 days. You need to take advantage of being pain-free and try to hit these objective measures that we've been working on, whether it be range of motion strength or what have you. So that way, when the injection wears off, hopefully the patient's objectively better, and that leads to more long-term success. Yeah, it's important to have, we talked about surgeon buy-in earlier and provider buy-in before they send them to the physical therapy office. Um, part of that is to get them to understand when I give you an injection, this injection is only to help you temporarily so you can get with Elena or with whoever from physical therapy that's going to improve your range of motion, your strength, and your function. If you're not going to do that, it's, it is just a Band-Aid, and it will only be, help you for a little while. So uh, one of the other hurdles I want to talk about quick, Elena, is that when, sometimes people see their x-rays, they're told by their surgeon, I, I have bone-on-bone arthritis. You don't understand. I have no cartilage left in my leg. Look how crooked my leg is. There's no way this is going to help me. And, and as you know, we tell people we that's not necessarily the case. There's not. This is not a program that can only help people with mild degrees of arthritis who aren't candidates for surgery. It's something that can help even people who have more severe arthritis. So tell us about your experience in even people with severe bone-on-bone arthritis who've been told they have to have surgery or nothing else, where you've been able to intervene in that, in that place and, and get them better anyway. I've had many times, I mean, currently and and lots of times working here, people with some pretty ugly x-rays, to be honest. That when I ask them, you know, of course, at the beginning of a visit, you're you're getting the subjective history. Like, do you have any, you know, what would you rate your knee pain? Like, oh, none, zero. So like many times, like people with, with a severely arthritic knee, I didn't really have much experience before working here. They they they're telling me they don't have knee pain and i think that's a kind of shocking fact to to some of my other pt friends maybe that that work other other places but it's i've i've had that experience pretty often here Elena, not to be the Debbie Downer here, but not every patient is going to get better. And obviously, we do hundreds of knee replacements a year. So patients with osteoarthritis sometimes go on to have a knee replacement. And you've tried rehab, starting with the program you're, you're talking about. You try the injections. They help temporarily. Then they go back to, the, let's call it a baseline pain level. What do you do with that patient when you've you've almost checked everything off the box from a non-operative PT standpoint and the patient's still having let's call it debilitating pain, and they come to you and, and say, my, my knee is still killing me, I, I can't do X, Y, Z, uh, what's next? So I like to make it clear to the patient, you know, if, if we end up going the surgery route, that's not a failure. We didn't fail PT. 
So um, if anything, if you end up going on to have a total knee, we have physically, hopefully prepared your knee for surgery to have a better outcome. And um, even if we didn't make very many range of motion gains or strength gains, you know, these patients are familiar with the exercises. They they are familiar with me, familiar with the clinic, um, trust me. So even if, if a lot of objective gains weren't made, which often they are, but if not, you know, I think it sets them up to be an even better uh, surgical candidate. So I usually were like, okay, well, let's meet back with Dr. Benner and, and we meet back with him and I update him on how hard they've been trying and things that they have haven't gotten better. And, and then if Dr. Benner discusses with the patient, we, we try to, we're going to move forward with surgery, then I'm still in the loop. So like, okay, let's, let's work towards that now and continue to physically prepare your knee. And then after surgery, you know, we're already, we're already buddies. I'm going to be taking care of you afterwards. And we already have that established relationship, which is just not something I, I ever experienced with total knee patients in the past. I would you know, usually meet them for the very first time after they've been discharged from home health and they've been out of surgery even for a while. And but in this case, I I, I know my patients pretty well even before we go down the surgery route. So, Elena, if someone is making progress and they they meet the goals that you have and progress on towards maybe a home program, how do you transition them back to their normal life without having to come into our office? And uh, how do you prepare them to have an armamentarium of things to do for the future? I look at discharge a little differently with this population because um, it's more of a maintenance program. I really I look at discharge as okay, does, does this person know how to manage an arthritic knee? So it's not just, oh, you've met my, my objective PT goals, you're finished. It's, uh, is this person, this person's learned a lot about, about their knee. They, they know what low p- impact exercises are. They know what high impact exercises are. So they know the options that I would recommend in the gym. They know what they, they can do if they have a flare up. They know what's important to maintain once discharged. So discharge really is is not just all goals met, but really I'm making sure they understand their maintenance program that they can easily do on their own at home and, and at a gym if, if they want to go. So we've talked through a couple different scenarios of the patients having uh, extreme success and hitting all your goals and, and getting through discharge without any replacement. And we've also talked about what the options are if the patient really plateaus and still has debilitating pain and what that may look like as the road leads to more of a knee replacement. Can you talk a little bit about, from a patient perspective, what their attitude is in terms of are they buying into this approach? Do they truly feel like this treatment that we are suggesting is non-operative as opposed to preoperative therapy? Give give a little insight on what the patients feel like um, throughout this process. We get a mix, <laughs> so a pretty large variety of attitudes at the initial visit. You know, some are like, I definitely want to avoid surgery at all costs, and some are like. No, I, I need surgery tomorrow. <laughs> but I think we do a really good job at explaining why we are doing things the way we do it instead of just saying this is what we recommend. So I really pride myself and in, in my patients understanding why I am suggesting what I am and, and what my goals are for them. And Dr. Benner is very good at this as well. Um, he doesn't just say, well, let's try PT. He fully discusses with them why he thinks it would be good to try PT first and 
and not just telling them that's the only treatment option, but discussing like why it's a good first option. And I, I think we have pretty, pretty great patient buy-in really overall from compared to previous jobs or, or just in, in general, educating the patient on why they, they usually buy into that. It's kind of incredible sometimes when people come into the yeah. office and, and I come in the and I come in from the very beginning and as soon as I mention PT they're like whoa 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 let me stop you right there doctor I, I don't PT is not going to work for me uh, and, and rather than saying okay fine we'll go ahead and replace your knee uh, then I, I try to have try to engage them on that oh tell me why what what is it about PT that you don't think is going to work well I've been told I have bone on barn arthritis there's I've been told there's by three different doctors there's no no way that it can get better. Okay, well then let's describe to you, you know, your pre-op motion can dictate your post-op motion. Your post-op motion can dictate outcome. We've had patients who have severe arthritis like you that have gone on to do well. We have patients like you who have um, said that they have done everything before, who have then bought into our program, done it in a little bit different way with us, and have had success. And it does, it's a, it's a little bit labor intensive, a little bit time intensive, but uh, it's, it's definitely worth it. The, the payoff is definitely there. And, and, and there's a lot of people who then come around and say, you know what, uh, you know, when you say it like that, I, I, it does make sense. And okay, I'll give it a try. And I say, you know what, give us four to six weeks, let Elena work with you. If you do everything Elena tells you to, and you're not getting better in a month to six weeks, come on back, we'll discuss other options. And it, it's, it's interesting to see people go from kind of the standoffish, I'm not doing that, don't even suggest that to, okay, I think I can handle that. We're all on the same page here. Well, I think that wraps up our episode on non-surgical treatment of knee arthritis, uh, the physical therapy perspective. I think this episode is good for surgeons and physical therapists alike on how to work collaboratively to take care of our patients from the minute they walk in all the way through their non-surgical process, set us up for success for surgery. So, Elena, thank you for coming on tonight, and we appreciate all your thoughts. Yeah, thank you so much. And based on this episode, if anybody has any questions, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the SKC podcast or on our SKC Facebook page, or you can reach out to us via email at the SKC podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.